All right, John 15. So Jesus has had his last meal uh, with his disciples. He's washed their feet. He's predicted that one of them would betray him. Judas has left. He's no longer in the room. And then Jesus says, I'm about to leave, and where I'm going, you guys can't come. And that's very upsetting to the disciples. Their reality for three years has been eating and sleeping and walking around with Jesus. And so now they're going, what, what, where are you going, and why can't we come with you? And they're really upset. And so Jesus begins to, one, try to comfort them, and two, prepare them for life without him physically present. For us, that's all we've known. We've never seen Jesus with our eyes or heard him with our ears or touched him with our hands. Uh, but for them, radical departure from their, from their experience. And Jesus is trying to get them ready for that. He told, we, we looked last week, he said, listen, I'm not leaving you guys alone. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to take my place. He's going to live in you, not just be with you. And he's going to continue to try to prepare them. Uh, they, they've left the upper room. They're not there anymore. Maybe they're traveling and Jesus is talking to them on the road. They may have found some other spot where he's teaching them, but they've left that upper room. They're not to the Garden of Gethsemane yet, somewhere in between. And Jesus is continuing to prepare them for life after he ascends to the Father. And this is what he says, starting in verse 1. I'm the true vine. My Father is the gardener. My Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch, nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So we'll pause there. This is the last of those I am statements. Remember John said, the whole reason I wrote this book it's because I want y'all to know that Jesus and I want, is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, I want, and by believing that that's true, I want you to have life in his name. So he has these seven different statements where Jesus uses a metaphor to describe some aspect of his character, his identity, or, or his activity. And this is the last one, I'm the vine. And it's an extended metaphor. There are other, other people are involved. He says, I'm the vine and my father is the gardener. And he says, the disciples, y'all are the branches. And then he also talks about fruit, but he doesn't tell us what the fruit is. In these first eight verses, we don't know. He doesn't define fruit. So we've got Jesus is a vine, and the Father is the gardener, and disciples are branches. We don't know what the fruit is. And he begins to talk about the different ways that these people interact with one another. So the first thing he does is he tells us the Father's job. He cuts. He either cuts off branches that don't bear fruit, or he cuts back branches that do bear fruit so that they'll bear even more fruit he make, to make them more fruitful. And the disciples, maybe when they hear that, are going, which one am I? Am I going to be cut back or am I going to be cut off? And Jesus says something that to me is a little, little odd in the context. He says, you're already clean. Y'all are already clean. We're talking about vines and branches. Y'all are already clean. He's just said that to them a couple hours before. If you remember back in chapter 13, he was washing their feet and he got to Peter and Peter said, you're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you don't have a part of me. You're not, you're not a part of my family. You're not in relationship with me. And Peter says, well, then don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and my head as well. And Jesus says, that's not necessary. If you've had a bath, then the only thing that needs to happen is for me to wash your feet. You're already clean, he says, 
but not every one of you. Talking about Judas, who's still in the room. At that point, Judas had already decided to betray Jesus, but he's still in the room with Jesus and the rest of the disciples. And Jesus says, you're already clean, but not every one of you, referring to Jesus, to Judas. And he says again here, you're already clean. I think what he's saying to them is, y'all don't need to worry about being cut off. It's a, y'all are, we're in a relationship here. You're, you're clean. You're, you're part of my family. We're in relationship. You're okay. Don't worry about whether you're going to be one who's cut off. And then he tells them what they need to do. You need to abide. Your Bible may say remain. You need to remain or abide in me. That's your responsibility. The father's responsibility is to prune. He cuts. Your responsibility is to remain or abide. If you do that, you're going to produce fruit. And then he tells the whole thing all over again. I'm the vine and y'all are the branches. You abide in me and you'll bear fruit. Fruit. If I remain in you then, then, and you remain in me, then you're going to bear fruit. I think maybe that's uh, a word of, of, of comfort. Maybe it's a confidence booster, some reassurance. I don't know what the disciples heard. For me, if I heard bear fruit, I may think, all right, there's a quota and I've got to hit it or there's, I've, got to, I've got to get to work. And there's maybe some pressure involved. And I think Jesus is wanting to reassure them and say, it's okay. If you stay connected to me, the result is going to be fruit. It's spring, you've got, you're planting things, flowers or vegetables. Those of you who do gardens, you've put the plants in and your expectation is the plant stays healthy, it's going to produce tomatoes or cucumbers or strawberries or whatever it is that you planted. If the plant's healthy, it's going to produce fruit. And Jesus is saying that's the same thing for us. The vine is healthy, it's him. So if the branches stay connected to the vine... Fruit will be a natural byproduct. It's going to be a natural result. It's not, it's not hard for a tomato plant to make tomatoes. That's what it does. It's not hard for Christians to produce whatever this fruit is that Jesus is talking about if they remain connected to him. It's what we do. So it's a, re, it's a word of reassurance or, or confidence, I think, for them. And he gives them the negative also. You know, if there's no fruit, you're going to get cut off and thrown into the fire. And we know what he's talking about there. He's referring to Judas and he's talking about judgment. And then he says something to me that I did not expect. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There's a connection between prayer and bearing fruit. We'll come back to that, but that's important. There's a connection between prayer and bearing fruit. And then he says, this is my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself or demonstrating that you're one of my disciples. So we, I think, intuitively get that picture. We're close enough to the land that we understand, all right, a a branch connected to a healthy vine is going to produce fruit. If that branch gets cut cut off, it's not going to produce fruit. It's a responsibility of the gardener to cut off dead wood. It's a responsibility of the gardener to cut back branches that are productive because then they'll produce more. I think we all kind of intuitively understand that. Now Jesus is going to tell the exact same truth, but using different language. He shifts from vine and branches to love and obedience, and it can get a little bit more confusing. So he goes from vine and branches to love and obedience, but he's talking about the same thing. He's preparing these guys, hey, I'm not going to be physically with you any longer, or for not not for much longer at least. And so this is what it's going to look like for y'all to continue to relate to me. The vine and the branches, that's one picture. This is what it looks like. And here's another one using love and obedience, communicating the same truth. As a father has loved me, so have I loved you. 
now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So we talked last week about the relationship between love and obedience, and it can be a little bit tricky at times. But what I want you to see is Jesus, he's communicating the same truth. It's the same thing he just talked about with the vine and the branches. You can see the parallel statements up there on the screen. Remain in me, remain in my love. Same thing. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear fruit. I've chosen you, or I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Same thing. Ask whatever you wish, it will be done. Whatever you ask my, the name of my Father, or whatever you ask of my name, the Father will give you. Same thing. This last one will make the connection later. Bearing much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples, is the same thing as saying love one another. Those are two different ways of saying the same thing, and we'll make that connection in a minute. Jesus is still talking about the same thing, our relationship with him, but we hear love and obedience, and when a lot of us hear obedience, we immediately begin to think of, well, what do I have to do to make God happy? What do I have to do to earn God's love? We talked about that last week. That's an easy trap for us to fall into. Really important for us to remember that sequence that we talked about last week. First thing, God loved us. Everything begins with his love for us. Jeremy quoted the verse, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his own love in this while we were still sinners, while we were still disobedient, while we were still rebellious, Jesus died for us. So God doesn't love you because you're cute. He doesn't love you because you're a good rule follower. He doesn't love you because you're lovable. He doesn't love you because you go to church. He doesn't love you because your family raised you in church. He doesn't love you because you help little old ladies cross the street or because you recycle or because he doesn't love you for any of those reasons. He loves you because he has decided to love you. He, just, he made a decision in his own heart that he was going to love the people that he created. And he has followed through on that. His love for us is completely and totally grounded in him, which is a little weird for us to think about. For some of us, most of us, when we think about the people we love, we think about there's something in them that kind of draws us to them or something in them that we like. And a lot of times when we think about that, we're thinking maybe um, peers, friends, and then maybe even the, the people that we date and end up marrying. There's something in them that draws us. Maybe think a little bit more parent-child where you just love them because they're yours. And your parents just loved you because you were theirs. From the, the moment, before they even saw you, they loved you. Before you even saw your kid, you loved them. That black and white little scratchy thing on the ultrasound, you, you just did. Nothing, nothing in them or nothing in you, if you're thinking about your own parents, drew you to them. It's, just, it's because they're yours. And that's how God loves us. It's completely in him. And that means it's super secure and solid. You can stand and rest on it. His love for you is based on him, not based on you. So that means when you mess up, it's still okay. You don't have to perform. You don't have to sing for your supper with God. So that's where everything begins, that he loved us. 
John says in 1 John, we love because God first loved us. And so remember, that, that step, that's the first, that's the foundation. Jesus says it this way. He says, remain in my love. If I told you remain in your seat, what does that imply? That you're already sitting down. It doesn't make any sense for me to tell you to remain in your seat if you're not seated. So for Jesus to say, remain in my love, the assumption there is, well, you're already in my love. I already love you, and what I'm telling you is how to keep it. I'm telling you how to stay there. I'm telling you how to stay in the chair. I'm not telling you how to sit down. You're already seated. I'm not telling you how to earn my love. I've already given it to you. I'm telling you how to remain in my love. And the way you remain in my love is you obey my commands. And we, again, we can hear that and go, gosh, is that performance? No, not at all. We said last week that our love, our obedience, I'll say it that way, our obedience is an expression of our love for God. We obey because we love God. We don't obey in order to get God to love us. We obey because we love him. It's an expression of our love for him, and that's what Jesus is saying. To stay seated, to remain in my love, you obey my commands. That'll be, that's an expression of the fact that you love me. If you don't love me, well then, we're not, you're not remaining in my love. Absolutely, that makes sense. We would get that. And this is, here's the command, to love one another. First John, uh, we read this. John says, you can't love God whom you haven't seen if you don't love your brothers and sisters who you can see. If you say you love God, that will be expressed in the way you love other people. If you're not loving other people, then you don't love him. That's what John tells us. And that's something similar, that's what Jesus says. Remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. And here's my command, you love each other. Well, what does that mean? Love in the Bible, it's not an emotion. It may be an emotional component, but it's not an emotion. It's, a, it's an orientation, a posture, a commitment to do what's best for somebody else, even if it costs you. I'm going to do what's best for Courtney, even if it's not good for me. That's what it means for me to love Courtney. Jesus has just washed their feet. That's a picture of what it means to love someone else. It's to take the posture of a servant. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do what's best for you, even if it means I have to wash your feet, even if it means that it's not great for me. Then Jesus goes on and says, greater love than this has no one they lay down their life for their friends. That for us can be kind of uh, ambiguous. What does it mean for us to lay down our life for somebody else? I think the, the picture of washing feet maybe is a bit more concrete, easier to get our minds around. They're similar. This sacrifice or posture of service towards someone else. And then Jesus says to them, hey, and I want y'all to know, I'm not just dumping a, a, a heavy load on you. We're, you're, you're my friends. You're not slaves. I'm not just telling you what to do and saying, go do it. I'm inviting you into the back room where me and the father are talking. I'm, I'm making known to you the stuff that he and I Talk about the plans and the purposes that we have. You obey not as a slave, but as a friend. It's rooted in your relationship with me. And then he closes with very similar statements to the way he closed the picture of the vine and the branches. I appointed you. I chose you. You're going to bear fruit. Don't worry about it. That's, that's why I picked you, was to do that. Again, it's that word of reassurance and comfort. This is not pressure for you to perform. You ask anything in my name, the Father will give it to you. And this is, this is my command, love one another. That's what it means to bear fruit. What does it mean to bear fruit? What is that fruit? They're acts of 
love. That's what Jesus has just demonstrated through that section on love and obedience. He fleshes out what these what fruit looks like. It looks like loving other people the way he's loved us. So a couple of things for you to think about this morning. Two questions. One, are you connected? Are you connected to the vine? Are you abiding or remaining in him? I don't necessarily want you to think about how you feel. Sometimes our feelings can are not super accurate judges, particularly when it comes to a relationship. We can misinterpret. So I don't necessarily want you thinking about how you feel, but two things that you can look at. One is, well, are you loving people? If, if abiding in Jesus produces fruit, and that fruit are acts of love, well, as you look at your life, are you washing other people's feet? Would you say, yeah, there's, there's demonstrations of God's love for other people in my life. I can see that. Not with any sense of arrogance or pride. The fruit is born by staying connected to the vine. It's not you. It's not because you're wonderful. It's because you're remaining in him. But in your honest moment, would you say, yeah, yeah, I see that. When I, I, I take the posture, not all the time, but most of the time, I take the posture towards other people of washing their feet. For most of us, we don't do that. We're not intentionally running people over. We're not intentionally manipulating people. We're not intentionally cutting people down or stabbing them in the back. Most of us just live kind of honestly kind of oblivious to other people. We're just kind of doing our thing. And you're either helping me do my thing or you're getting in the way of me doing my thing. But I'm just kind of, I'm just trying to finish my list today. Try to get the, check the boxes. Loving you, that doesn't necessarily enter my mind. I don't necessarily think every day, okay, what does it look like for me to wash Courtney's feet? I'm just kind of hoping he doesn't get in my way. That's just, it's not an intentional thought. I'm not trying to hurt him. I'm not trying to make, I'm not trying to slow him down. I just don't necessarily think about what does it look like for me to push him forward, to spur him on? What does it look like for me to do what's best for him? Would you say that's you? Or would you say, no, I actually pretty intentionally take the posture of a servant. I look for opportunities to wash the feet of people God has put around me. And then the stretch would be not just the people you like, but your enemies as well. Love your neighbor and you love your enemy and everybody's one or the other. So I do what's best for them, regardless of neighbor or enemy. So would you say you see that in your life? Maybe another question. This was interesting to me. I didn't see this coming either. I didn't see Jesus talking about prayer, and I didn't see him talking about joy. This is why I'm telling you all this, Jesus says, is so that my joy will be in you and so that your joy will be complete. When I think of obedience, the first word that comes to my mind is not joy. I take joy when other people obey me, for sure. But I don't necessarily take joy in obeying other people. I may say it's a good thing to do, it's a right thing to do. I don't know that it brings me joy. And Jesus says, I'm telling you all this so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be con complete. Joy is kind of a tricky word in the New Testament. It's not an emotion, but there's an emotional component. It's a state, which is hard to describe. You kind of know it, but it's hard to, to define the reason I don't think it's emotion is because we're commanded, rejoice in the Lord always, and I don't think God commands us how to feel, but he does command us how to act. 
So I don't think it's an emotion. You can disagree with me on that. I do think there's an emotional component. I think it's a state of, it's a state of delight that's rooted in our relationship with God, irrespective of our circumstances. So when I think of happiness, I think of emotion, and I think of happiness as tied to my circumstances. I'm happy when things go well. I'm sad when things don't go well. Those are emotions. Joy is underneath both of those things. So Paul can talk about rejoicing in sorrow, rejoicing in suffering, rejoicing in trial. Again, he says rejoice always, and he writes that letter, Philippians, which tells us to rejoice in the Lord always from jail. That's where he's writing it when he tells us to do that. So to me, again, he's not telling me how to feel. He's telling me how to act. He's saying you need to take great delight in the Lord and in your relationship with him, regardless of your circumstances. You don't need to ride the roller coaster of your circumstances. Joy is deeper than that. And I think what Jesus is saying to the disciples is I want you to have that. I'm about to be arrested, I'm about to be beaten, I'm about to be mocked, and I'm about to be killed. And I want you to have the joy that I'm going to have, even in the midst of those circumstances, because joy is rooted in relationship, and the circumstances don't impact that. That's what Jesus, last week we talked about Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to give you my peace. I don't have, my peace is not like the world's peace. It's not based on your circumstances. It's much deeper than that. His joy is the same. Happiness is a subset of joy, but you can be joy person. You can still have joy. I can take joy in the fact that this person loved Jesus, and so therefore they're in a place where there's no more crying and no more pain and no more death, and we'll hopefully see each other again, whatever that means. I could be sad and still be joyful. You get that. So that's what Jesus says. And so maybe for you, the question when you think about am I connected Is your life marked by joy? Or do you ride the roller coaster? Is your life marked by joy? Do you take great delight in the Lord regardless of your circumstances? Think about that. If not, you may not be abiding to the degree that maybe you think you are that hopefully... You would want to. Second question. First question, are you connected? Are you abiding? Are you remaining? Second question, what are you praying for? What are you praying for? Jesus says, if my word, if you remain in me and my word remains in you, then you ask for anything and you'll, you'll get it. I, I, I pointed you for this, to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. There's a connection between Prayer and bearing fruit. And I would say prayer is the key to bearing fruit. Remain. That's kind of a passive verb, right? We remain. We abide. The thing that we do is we pray. That helps maintain that connection, the relationship with the Lord. And it's also the means through which fruit is born. So what are you praying for? Many of us, we don't even think that way. Maybe we pray for somebody we love if they're sick or they, you know, these kids... These guys are about to go to college, and we'll pray for them. Hey, they finish well and start well and plug in and make some friends. And we might pray for them for a little bit. But in general, are you, are you asking God and saying, in this, this world that you've put me in, the place where I live and 
work and shop and eat and the people who I run into on a weekly basis, do you ever say, God, what would it look like for you to express your love to them or in this place? If, if the fruit that we're supposed to bear are these demonstrations or manifestations, these acts of love, do we ever ask God to do that in the places where we live and work and eat and shop in the lives of the people who we interact with? Don't hear that as condemnation. It's just a question. It could be if you're looking and going, I don't see a whole lot of fruit in my life. It may very well be that you don't see a whole lot of fruit in your life because you're not asking. Prayer is not informing God about situations of which he's ignorant. He knows everything. Prayer is an invitation for God to get involved. Prayer is not informing. Prayer is inviting. And oftentimes, God won't get involved unless we invite him to do so. And so when you look at your own life or you look at your own world, whatever that is, we call that your Marietta, not necessarily Marietta proper, wherever God has planted you. When you look at that space, are you inviting him to get involved there? And if the answer is no, well, then don't be surprised if he doesn't. Again, don't hear that as criticism. That's just reality. If you're connected, you're going to bear fruit. And that fruit is going to come through prayer. You're inviting God to get involved. And then these expressions of love will begin to kind of pop up, just like tomatoes on your tomato plant will begin to grow and ripen. But for many of us, again, we don't even ask the question. That doesn't even cross our minds. We're just, again, we're trying to get through the day and trying to think with kind of a holy imagination, what would it even look like? What would it even look like if this place or these people began to experience the love that God has for them? What would it even begin to look like? So this is, we're going to call this the last week of spring. We kind of run on a school calendar. Friday's the last day for uh, most folks, some people earlier this week. And so we'll say summer starts this weekend. We got a short one, just June and July. That's all we get. So here's my challenge to you. Over the course of those two months, persistently, consistently, intentionally, ask God to work in your world. Very specifically, God, I want you to express your love in this place where you've put me. You can use me if you want to. That's beside the point. I just want this place, this plot of dirt that you've planted me in, I want you to express your love there and for the people who I run into week in and week out. Two months. I guarantee you'll see something. If you're, that, that's, that's, you'll, you'll be abiding and you'll be asking and fruit will come. He already said, I've appointed you to go and bear fruit. If you remain in me, you will bear fruit. You'll bear much fruit. It's nothing you have to feel pressure to work up. It's just a matter of intentionally asking the Lord to express his love in the places where he's put you. Let's take a minute and pray, and then we'll be done. We'll pray with you about anything you've got going on. You came in with a need. We want to make sure that gets addressed. But maybe ask these two questions prayerfully. One, am I connected? And just be honest. The answer, hopefully, is yes. 
Am I connected? Don't just go with how you feel. Maybe dig a little deeper. Is my life marked by joy? Particularly when things are not going great, do I take great delight in the Lord and in my relationship with Him? Or do I get thrown for a loop? We talk about um, sometimes what happens when we're squeezed, what comes out of us when we're squeezed. When you're squeezed, does joy come out of you or is it something else? You may not be abiding. Do you take the posture of a servant towards others? Are you actively looking to wash feet, to do what's best for someone else, even if it costs you? Another way of saying that is, are you bearing fruit? Are there expressions and acts of love? I'm not talking about how you feel. I'm talking about what you do. Are there expressions of, and acts of love in your life? As you survey the people who you live life with on a regular basis, would you say, yeah, I'm washing her feet. I'm washing his feet. These are the concrete ways that I'm seeking their best, that I'm looking to do what's best for them. Even if they don't say thank you. Even if they don't acknowledge. Even if it costs me something. Are you abiding? If you're abiding, then those things will be popping up, cropping up in your life. If, if you would say, no, not really, then don't, don't need to feel bad about that. Just acknowledge it before the Lord. God, I'm not, I want to abide and I'm not. I'm busy or I'm apathetic or I'm tired. I'm grouchy. Jesus says that the Father prunes. So you can think of pruning as cutting back. So what he wants to do is he wants to cut back the parts of our flesh that inhibit us from loving other people well. He wants to cut back so that we can love better. And so you may just want to invite him to do that. And you don't need to be scared. Remember, he loves you. And so what you're just saying is, God, would you cut back the parts of me that are preventing me from loving other people well? Would you cut back my pride? Would you cut back my selfishness? Would you cut back my arrogance? Would you cut back this tendency I have to gossip about other people? This thing in me that thinks the only way for me to get ahead is to push somebody else down. You may not even know what it is. You may just want to say, God, I, I, I give you permission. Cut away. Prune. I want to love people better. Is your life marked by joy? God, if it's not just... God, I, I ride the roller coaster of my circumstances. I can, I can rejoice in you, not always, but when things are going well. And God, I want to grow. I want to learn how to rejoice in you when things are not going great. I want to take great delight in my relationship with you, even when my circumstances are terrible. So would you mature me in that way? I know that's nothing I can produce. You say that, Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, but he lives in me. And so I'm saying, grow that within me. I'm not looking for my life to be miserable. 
but on the, on the bad days, I still want to take great delight in you. I want to remain connected to you, even when my circumstances are tough. Maybe you want to go in this direction. God, I don't even, I don't, I, I don't pray. And I, I, I certainly don't pray for my, the world that you've put me in. I don't even think that way. But God, my desire over the next two months, June and July, is to intentionally ask you to love the people that I live life with and to love the place where you've put me. I don't even know what that means. I'm just asking you to do it. You said that you would do anything that I ask in your name, and you said one of the things that we can pray is your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's what I'm asking. It's just another way of saying the same thing. God, would you express your love for this place, my school, my office, my neighborhood? Would you express your love for that place and those people over these next couple of months? If you want to use me, that's great. If not, that's okay too. I just want you to, I want those people to know that you love them. And I want that place to be impacted by your love. And I don't even know what that means for you to love a place, but I'm asking you to do it. And would you remind me to pray consistently and persistently and intentionally for that? God, I pray for each one of us that we would abide in you. That would be our state of being, remaining in you. Asking you to get involved, recognizing that you haven't left us alone. Your spirit lives within us, so... Even when you move us to act, we're not doing that on our own. We're doing that in your power. God, for any here this morning who are not abiding, who are either striving or who, God forbid, are, are cut off, I thank you that you're able to graft, back, graft branches back in. And I pray that you would do that this morning. God, and I pray again for those who are striving that they would rest in this great love that you have for them. And out of uh, acknowledgement and recognition and conviction of this love that you have for them, that you would give them grace to love others. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand up. We'll have ministry teams here up in the front. Again, we'll pray with you about anything that you have going on. And we'll dismiss in about three minutes.